0: Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No, but I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wise-cracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors in the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so tonight I'm joined by Paul Woodson. Paul Woodson has narrated over 150 audiobooks in many genres, including World War II European history, American history, contemporary and historical romance, fantasy, science fiction, classics, and young adult. With a BFA from Boston University's School for the Arts, Paul spent many years as a professional AEA and SAG-AFTRA actor working on stage and occasionally on film across the USA and Europe, before becoming a full-time voice artist and audiobook narrator. His facility in German and French has garnered him much work in narrating European World War II histories, and his early years in the UK, where he began reading at the age of three, and facility with accents, have led to his narration of many British titles.
1: Man, that's a lot of stuff, Paul. (laughs) I I tried to pack a lot into a short couple of sentences. (laughs) (laughs) So how, how long did you live in the UK? Uh, just a couple of years when my dad was a grad student at Cambridge, when I was really young, mm-hmm. like before I started uh, school in the U- United States. So really, uh, before I was five. <laughs> wow. So very, yeah. very young. Still, but, those, uh, those are like formative years there. They're formative years. They, you know, I, I always, uh, they, they say I was talking with a bit of a British accent when I came back. Uh, which obviously I lost, but I always felt like it was accessible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and a, a lot of my life has been steeped in Anglophilia, I guess you could say. So I've always, I've always had the accent nearby, or at least some of them. <laughs> uh, missiles, especially. Missiles or missiles? Missile. There we go. Say
0: missile. <laughs> uh, my son, my oldest, grew up watching <laughs> Doctor Who, the, the new Doctor Who reboot. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. David Eccleston started the year Dogan was born, and I, I, I got it. I want to say he was like eleven before he realized that we don't pronounce it missile. <laughs> He'd only ever heard it in Doctor Who, so yeah, missile and and mobile. That's right. Yeah. And
1: I think you'll you'll find a lot of the i l e endings get pronounced that way, ile instead of ill. There, there's there's a, a lot of the endings are are, uh, the some of the key differences, <laughs> some of the suffixes and such. The the things they get wrong about English. There's just all these (laughs) minor differences that most people wouldn't think of. Like people can, they can get the lilt of the accent or they can get the kind of cadence. But there's all these like syllable shifts, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, like narrator in the U.S. is narrator in the U.K. And such, you know, and a lot of lot of syllable shifts end up going to the Second to last syllable, where we stress the first syllable.
0: I, I I'm always screwing up the syllables. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, it's it's funny. I uh, actually saw a video on YouTube, um, a a dialect coach mm-hmm. uh, who was dissecting like ten well known movie actor accents, mm-hmm. and you know talking about oh what they've done great and and what they screwed up on, and it was so incredibly minute. I mean, there were times where he'd be like, okay, here's what this vowel should sound like. And he would play it and you know, it should sound like, Ooh. Right. And he says it like, Ooh. And I'm like, those are the same. Like I literally cannot hear it. But he's like, no, no, you can totally tell that this guy's not a native speaker because of that. And
1: I think I've watched um, that same video. As a matter of fact, I, I can't remember who the coach was, but yeah, they were very particular and very specific. It's, you know, down to the placement in the, in the mask of where the vowel went, yeah. even if the sound comes out roughly the same, oh, they didn't place it yeah. in the left nostril, you know, and <laughs> exactly. New Zealanders always place it in the lower, uh, right mandible. <laughs> I don't
0: it's, um, you know, and I'm watching this thing and I'm like, you know, I, on the one hand I could see how like hiring, and I assume this is like, so that people will hire him, uh, to prepare mm-hmm. for acting roles. Um, and I could see where, You know, if I spent a few months with him on an accent, I would totally nail it. Right. I, I, You know, I feel like he's he he knows what he's doing. So in that sense, sure, his his video is is super helpful for him. On the other hand, there's also like this massive voice in the back of my head saying, but who would care? Really, who would even who but this guy would even (laughs) notice that you placed the accent properly in the left nostril?
1: Um, Literally no one. But that guy, well, so. and possibly the people whose accent it is, maybe they're, they're the ones who are going right. to call you on it first. Uh, it's a very specific <laughs> local <laughs> dialect, but,
0: right, yeah, but all no one of the else pe- will. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> if, we, if we narrate a book that is set in a specific geographical location, and God help us if they mention mm. the neighborhood, everybody in that neighborhood will listen to the book and if you've screwed, if they have a dialect of any kind, and you have screwed up mm-hmm. anything, they are all going to go on
1: Audible and leave a <laughs> review for you. There, there is the handful. Of, yes, I've I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've oh, heard I've, of it. Happening I've had there. it happen where they're wrong. Uh, that's a whole other story. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, right? they, well, um, like it, there's a, a book I did that had a a kind of it's a fantasy world. And it's set in a kind of old fashioned Edwardian setting. And so and I did it in British dialects and I used a, a slightly more old fashioned pronunciation of the word. Uh, what, bade, we would say he, he bade him come to the hall. And I said I pronounced it bad because in that style, that is what they used to say. And that is how some people still say it, especially the classical actors and so forth. And it, it was suitable to that setting, but someone jumped on me for pronouncing it that way. <laughs> um, Even though that was a conscious choice,
0: yeah. <laughs> I had uh, I, I had a book where the author—I mean, it was it was a urban fantasy—but the author in, made up certain names, right? It, so okay. invented the name, told me how to pronounce it. I pronounced it, and people still complained that I got it wrong. And I'm like, how how? You know, like, what are you basing that on? But whatever. <laughs> People are funny. How do you
1: pronounce? It? Yeah, a made up name. <laughs> well, or as someone would say, all names are made up. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. yeah, a name that's not common. Yeah. how How do you get that wrong? Exactly. Unless they know the author personally and had some kind of conversation with them over tea. And the author is very you know upset about it <laughs> i don't know
0: oh uh, you know there are times where i wish that uh you know we could respond to reviews on audible and right. then almost immediately after i am deeply grateful that we can't yes no I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so you were uh stage and uh screen actor Mm, mm-hmm. before becoming oh. primarily uh, voiceover. So mm-hmm. what uh, what prompted the shift and what did you do uh, before you got behind the mic? Uh,
1: let's see. Well, I'd, I'd gone to Boston U uh, actually originally to study uh, classical voice uh, as a singer and uh, decided that I wasn't completely committed to the whole lifestyle of classical music i liked opera i had done some opera operetta but i really was more my heart was always more on the theater side of things so i re-auditioned for their theater school and got in and got a bfa in theater and then kind of kicked around new york for a long time doing you know getting into the unions doing shows touring the country going to europe a couple times doing tours over there like music of android weber that kind of thing and uh, so I got to travel quite a lot. I mean, like many actors, I got to do more shows outside New York by being in New York than I ever did in New York, although I did my share of, of things here and there. You know, I did a show twice off-Broadway, off, off Broadway, but at a, a reputable off-Broadway off house uh, okay. playing Vincent Van Gogh in a really well-written, uh, modern, sung-through musical about Van Gogh. Nice. Y- you have no idea how disappointed I am that you didn't say Van Gogh. Oh, f- <laughs> for for clarity's sake in the English language, and uh, yes, I could say Van Gogh, Van Gogh, <laughs> like you're choking on a a piece of matzo, but <laughs> or something. But yeah, no, the Dutch Dutch is a, a bit of a harsh language. <laughs> so no, I I, sh- I suppose if I was being uh, proper I, I should have said Fenn. Oh, Fenn. Oh. my dutch is not up to snuff i would <laughs> you know i know a coach <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> i saw him on youtube <laughs> so how did you
0: how did you make your way to uh, to voice acting
1: oh it was just well it was it started kind of by accident i was you know i wasn't doing so much stage anymore especially as i got into my early 40s it was you know harder to get cast and I was working still, you know, as a union actor and like uh as as a stand-in or background on a lot of shows and films and taking side jobs but you know, not particularly satisfying any of that. Mm-hmm. And uh I I'd always listened to audiobooks for, you know, decades since I was probably a teenager, but you know, I I had never done a been a voiceover artist. I knew that was a whole other world. And I never tried to get into that because I knew how competitive it was. Uh, but audiobooks, I don't know. I mean, like a lot of people, I first encountered ACX somehow, I think through a, a SAG Foundation YouTube video, you know, uh, looking, already being a member of SAG, uh, I was always looking for stuff that intrigued me. And, and, the, and for folks who don't know, you, just to interrupt real quick. SAG is the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, Screen Actors Guild, which has since merged with AFTRA. The, uh, so now it's SAG-AFTRA. And AFTRA is technically the union contract that we have as union yeah. performers. But they're merged. And uh, yeah, the SAG Foundation video I saw had like Scott Brick and Hilary Huber and Pat Fraley. And of course, back then I had no idea who they were. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now they're like gods to me of having learned you know, the hierarchy of the of the lovely audiobook world and, and how talented and, you know, giving they all are too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just watched it and I was intrigued and they mentioned ACX as a place where some people could, you know, at least look. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was a an open market to submit yourself for these audios. And so I just thought I'd give it a try. And of course I went in, did everything absolutely wrong. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, but I still got work like right away, like paying work and probably before I was ready, you know, but I figured, well, I'm an actor. I've been a singer. I know how to use a microphone. I know how to use audio software because I used to make musical recordings, you know, on my own. So yeah, I can do this. And so I probably still had a, an advantage over, 60% of the people out there but uh but sure. there was so much that I was backwards on uh and I'm just glad that I kind of was able to change up everything quickly from the beginning and all those great communities on Facebook and online other and the forums and kind of giving advice sharing advice and giving the snark <laughs> <laughs> which which helps get you on the right road rather quickly if you're humble enough to listen. And uh yeah, kind of just up to my game bit by bit and uh now it's turned into a full-time gig and it's actually going a lot better than my regular acting career ever had. I mean, knock wood. I hope it stays that way. I'm actually I'm you know I'm working sure, full-time yeah. and I'm only in with a couple places. Uh so I'm I'm still I, frankly, I haven't pushed myself to the others that much. I'd love to. I've just, every time I think about sending out the mails, uh, I get like three new projects. And I'm like, well, even if they wanted me, I'd have to say, <laughs> well, not for three or four months, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's a good That's problem, a to, problem have, to have, but I, I shouldn't get complacent because, you know, I, I would love to work eventually for everybody and, you know, be diverse in my in the companies i work with right yeah i mean in
0: an industry like this all it takes is for one or two casting directors to not think of you yeah for a title yeah fortunately fortunately for you um you are incredibly talented oh, and uh, yeah i i don't see things slowing down for you at all um which you know, uh, I, I I say with some amount of worry and trepidation because <laughs> uh, you and I work for the same publishers, mm. and so yeah, I keep thinking you know every book that
1: Paul gets
0: is one I'm not near.
1: But, that's <laughs> but okay. I don't think you're in any danger either, right? <laughs> of it uh, slowing down. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> so you know, you 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 mentioned you're you're doing this full time, mm. and uh, you know this this really makes you one of those, uh, rare unicorns, which is a working pa- you know, a paid working actor. I know it's weird, right? It, isn't it? And so, but my question behind this though is what did you have to sacrifice to get here, to get to this point?
1: Hmm. Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, what, When I was younger, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do this because, you know, as a theater artiste, I think it was it was all about craving the freedom and wanting to get out. And, you know, I I, I do kind of miss the the camaraderie of stage and of, you know, putting together a a show. But I also kind of feel like theater eh, theater has a lot of dry spells, or at least it can when you're me. (laughs) And, you know. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've always, what did I give up? I was about to drift into another topic. Uh, what did I give <laughs> up? I don't know. Right now I'm actually enjoying the ride because, you know, I had a lot of debt to pay off and I was able to do that. And, uh, I'm able to travel more than I used to be. And I love traveling. It's kind of one of the things I got into acting for was one of the side perks is you would often get to do a show elsewhere. You know, it got me to mm-hmm. Germany and France and well, actually, no, not, well, okay, technically France, Germany, Austria, <laughs> Switzerland. Yeah, we, we we don't go on many narration tours. No, but you know what I do, I get to do is a lot of like, uh, audiobook conventions or, uh, oh. signings or little things like that. Uh, do you have any,
0: have any coming up? Yeah.
1: Um, I just decided to commit to going over to Love and Vegas, uh, for a day In obviously Las Vegas in October, uh, which uh, one the host of a site called Oral Fixation, which is a great romance oriented uh, online website and Facebook group with tons of fans. Uh, They are having a narrator group come to their table at Love in Vegas and uh, doing like meet and greets and signings and so forth. And I think I'm going to be one of about seven or eight narrators who, who show up. Yeah. Nice. And so that's coming up. I just, uh, a few of us just did romantic times in Reno back in May. And again, you know, great opportunity to travel. It's a business trip. So, you know, you get to ride it off, but you also get to have some fun, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's an expense out of your own pocket, but if you're working enough to justify it, ideally it's, it's also going to garner you more work. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. That's nice. So uh, this is actually a really great segue into, you know, the, the general theme of this podcast. Uh, you mentioned uh, oral fixation is, you know, mm. mostly romance and then romantic, romantic times, did you say? Yes, that was the convention. Last one, actually. but that's another story. You, <laughs> <laughs> you've done, um, a, I mean, a, a lot of romance titles. And if you're a fan of that genre, you know that I, I mean. I, it feels like you know a solid seven tenths of it takes place in the Scottish Highlands, <laughs> and there's some sort of like I don't know if it was Outlander that started it or if it's just the most popular uh, you know uh, example of this. But you know, there's there, there's Scotsmen, mm-hmm. there's the Highlands, there's kilts, there's mm-hmm. romance, and there's magic, there which is. brings us right into urban fantasy. Aha! Good segue. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, um you know, you, you've done you've done so much stuff. I mean, even in the bio, I mentioned you know you've got World War II history, European histories over here, and then you know Scottish Highland romance, mm-hmm. magic, and all. You know, it, it's how how is it narrating these? uh
1: It's actually it's a lot of fun. Um, I it's not a genre that I read for the most part before i was narrating them but now that i do i they're actually books i enjoy giving life to and giving voice to uh the characters are usually right out of uh theater you know they're all they're all characters that you're sort of familiar with just from doing shows uh there's you have a lot of you have the great heroes and heroines you have sometimes the wizards or the witches and uh the villains sometimes they're english because when you're in scotland the villains are often english (laughs) sometimes they're also scottish sometimes they are american I, you know did a i'm doing a whole time travel series by jenny vale which calls into mind my or calls forth my particular skills, which is to do English, Scottish, and American dialects all in the same book, and about equal parts of all. And so, you know, you need someone who can carry all those voices through. Yeah. (laughs) And the American's the bad Uh, guy. Well, in some cases, but sometimes, often the Americans are the heroes brought to medieval Scotland via magic, and then they have a romance with uh, the the folk there. Uh, And actually it goes both ways. Uh, We've had the medieval Scots end up in modern San Francisco and then have romances in modern times. So you get the sort of the whole fish out of water uh, story, which is always fun, but that that's one series. I mean, I've also done some that don't involve magic. that are just steadfastly set in the Scottish Highlands in a certain time and place. And those are great. Uh, I don't know that a lot of them really feel more like adventure stories to me than romances. I mean, the ones I do have, you know, a bit of sex and, you know, sexy times, <laughs> but, but they're, they don't go heavy on it. So much of the story is, yeah. is simply an adventure uh, with perhaps a man and woman coming together as the the center piece of the story but you know certainly not what i thought sure. romance novels were all about but as i <laughs> started doing more and more i've come to realize that romance novels helmet they're everything <laughs> they there is every yeah. genre of story and fiction exists within the romance genre so you know you have adventure romance you have war romances you have scottish and english and french and german and Canadian romances and, you know, they span all time periods. They span all subgenres. So I've come to realize that it, it can be anything you want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, there's uh, I, I you know, I know there was a time when, um, it, it was almost like narrating romance was, you know, kind of, uh, well, I do right. it, but I don't talk about it. Kind of, you know, it was like treated like the this, the this
1: stepchild that we don't want to acknowledge, right? There's um, always been a kind of double standard on them, I think. Yeah.
0: But there's been, I I think a a recognition, uh, and, and you know, I I will honestly say, I think the fans are responsible for this because the genre, in in both uh, print, digital book, and audiobook, uh, the romance genre is massively huge and money talks. People listen yeah. to it. Oh yeah.
1: Um,
0: but it's it's really i think garnered a lot of respect as people oh, yeah. have, have have followed the money actors and uh, and then realized oh well this this is actually a really good story
1: yeah exactly and and there really are no limits as to what a romance can be about i mean yeah. people will well, I mean, find their subgenre within that genre and and go for it
0: yeah i mean when you, when you think about it it's uh, the, the human you don't get much more uh, fundamental to the human condition, than relationships. True, very true. You know? And and so you you have this genre that it really is just exploring this incredibly important facet of the human condition, and then it does it in a wide array of of settings and and situations. So yeah.
1: So true <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and my uh my wife got me hooked on uh, the outlander t v series
1: oh nice, you know I've never actually watched it. I probably should as research <laughs> it's
0: yeah, as research yeah no it's it's really good i i I enjoyed it um she's listened to all the audiobooks. Uh, D- Davina Porter yeah, she narrates yeah. the series yeah um and just fantastic, just such a great job um that i and I've decided I need to go. And listen to all the books, um, just because it's it's a great story, mm-hmm. and I mean she's just such an amazing narrator. Um, you know, I, I want to I, I want to listen to the whole thing and listen to how she brings people along on this uh, this rather long tale. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, I want to talk about the horror on the links. Yeah, sure, let's talk about it because this. Book what is it like a billion hours long?
1: <laughs> when I recorded it, it was my longest audiobook to date. Since then I have actually surpassed it, but uh I believe it clocked in around 28 hours. And it's man. something like 20 or 21 short stories, all by the same author. And this is volume one of five. <laughs> oh, and this is this is old school. It's- Urban fantasy yeah. supernatural old school stuff. paranormal detective, uh, which was still treading new ground at the time. I mean, yeah, some other story writers had covered these topics, but they still weren't well-known tropes, you know, in the movies like they are today. Zombies and mummies and werewolves. I mean, they were they were written about, but they were just sort of finding their foothold at that point in in fiction. And and this this series has a great sense of humor, which I enjoyed. Uh, you know, the, you have the French detective who, Jules de Grandin, who's like the smartest guy in every situation, but he's also irascible and very French. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was a challenge because the, the first story describes him as having not much of an accent, but then he will always slip into Frenchisms throughout, like, Anytime he gets excited, you know, so I had to make a choice and decided to make him not with your typical French accent, but still he had a, I gave him something, but it, it ended up being more of a a distinguished, you know, very, very slight French accent like this. So you may not know that he's French, but you know that he's not from here. <laughs> you know, he's someone. So <laughs> not quite Hercule Poirot. Not quite Hercule Poirot, no, no. Although I, I did enjoy Rana's latest uh turn of that of Oh, my that god. Yeah. Have, yeah you, I just have, saw that. Have you listened um, to him doing the audiobook? No, but I would
0: I would welcome that. Oh, it is so good. It's mm. it it really it was so good it hurt me as a performer, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah,
1: I I I should put it on the list. Yeah. I actually had not ever read or seen Murder on the Orient Express oh. till the rendition. So, I was I actually felt like I got to appreciate it completely fresh not knowing the twists and turns of the plot
0: well and you know they they update the story a little Mm. bit for the
1: movie i figured some of those modern touches
0: there's enough new in the book that oh yeah you got to listen to it that's so yeah um it it, oh yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i was yeah i was comparing jules de grandin i guess a bit to hercule poirot and they have their similarities and differences and then he has his Sidekick Doctor Trowbridge, who is actually the one telling all the stories in first person, so So, kind of
0: a very like a Holmes and Watson thing.
1: It is like a Holmes and Watson, only the Watson is incredibly dull and dim. (laughs) I mean, it's it's more. I think it's more because they go through adventure after adventure, and Trowbridge never seems to sharpen up. Like finally starting to see that the impossible may be possible, and and every time they come across something weird. He just doesn't get it. And you'd think that by the 12th or 13th story, he'd start saying, oh, I, this must, this reminds me of that other case De Grandin. But no, he's just like, wow, this is impossible. I'm dashed if I know what's going on here. You know? But then I realized because it was all written as, a, what's the word, periodical fiction for a magazine, it had mm-hmm. to deliver the same thing again and again. And so sure. someone who picked up one copy of weird tales magazine should be able to read one story anywhere you jump in and not have to, uh, you know, read the others to know yeah. what it's about. But uh, I've, it, I had a great deal of fun reading those and, uh, still hoping I, I know I didn't, I didn't get to do volume two, but since there are five and they're re-releasing them all as books and print editions and audio, I think, uh, I'm hoping to get another stab at least at one of the volumes.
0: Nice. Yeah. Cause that was, that know, was
1: one of my favorites to narrate. And it was a author I'd never even heard of before I got
0: approached, you know, and, and until this book came out, uh, was last year, early this year. Oh God. It was, uh, I think it was early this year. That? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they just started like last year, like I, I think republishing these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, uh, in another interview, I was, uh, commenting, I think that when I was talking to Paul Stokes, mm-hmm. uh, the reviewer, I had mentioned that, uh, you know, Jim Butcher's Harry Dresden mm-hmm. was like the, the progenitor of this, like what we think of really as the, the mainstay of urban fantasy, mm-hmm. which is the supernatural detective with, you know, liberal doses of humor thrown mm-hmm. in, um. But then, you know, just as you started talking, I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. These came out in like was it the early 1920s, yeah. mid
1: 1920s, something like that." volume one is entirely uh, from the 1920s. And Seabury Quinn yeah. kept writing the stories all the way through the 1950s. But the volume I covered, yeah, starts back in early 1920s. So
0: yeah, I, I have to, I have to completely take back what I said about, uh, you know, Jim Butcher may be the, the modern, Mm -hmm. the the father of the modern urban fantasy genre, but, uh, the supernatural detective, especially Mm -hmm. I mean, wisecracking and smart, uh, sidekick humor. Uh, yeah, that at least goes back to the
1: 1920s now. Oh yeah. And, uh, what's great is they're not all supernatural stories they they all have that bent in them somewhere but mm-hmm. some actually have almost a Scooby-Doo plot where <laughs> you're supposed to think it's a supernatural force and then it's just a guy in a mask you know so they really the author is throwing you uh curveballs sometimes even as you go from story to story it's not always the supernatural sometimes it's just a a crook or someone pretending to be a ghost and other times it's an actual ghost or, or an, an actual zombie. So you never really know what you're going to get, which, which is kind of cool. So and, how much, how much fun was it doing it, not only
0: these stories, but doing them a, I mean, in such bulk, almost, nearly 30 hours. Um, that takes up if, if for folks who don't know um, the amount of time that goes into just one hour of, of audio is enormous. You know, if, if you don't count, uh, the research time and, uh, the, the pre-reading time, if you just count, uh, time behind a microphone, it's at least two hours for every one hour, usually. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And often more. Yeah. uh, For pre-read and research and everything. Yeah.
0: So you, you lived with uh, Jules de Grandin for a, a long period of time while you were doing this.
1: Yeah, fortunately, I recorded it in the winter, so I was just holed up in my apartment the whole time, <laughs> either reading or narrating the stories. Uh, it, was, it was actually great. It was, uh, and I've done longer books now of history or, and such, so I can tell you the fantasy is a lot more fun to do a book of that length, or fantasy <laughs> or paranormal or horror. Uh, but what's what's it like spending that much time in
0: in Jules's head being you know the the supernatural detective
1: uh, you know did
0: it affect you at all
1: uh, maybe a bit i think actually I, I just put a bit of myself into Jules uh <laughs> you know the the smartass <laughs> side and just gave him a bit of a french flavor uh he's he's written in very uh specific terms you know you know he has the french kind of Frenchisms and the attitude, but he's also, he likes to eat and he likes to uh, assume that he needs to explain his whole story to everybody. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I th- I think I just took some of my snottier side, <laughs> but but the amiable <laughs> snotty side, the smart ass, I guess, and, and put him into Jules de Grandin. Then I took my the kind of the the persona that I usually come off as in my outer self, which is the kind of, huh, the Homer Simpson, and and made that Dr. Trowbridge. So he had both sides of my uh, id, or is it the ego? No, ego working, or no, the ego and the id working opposite each other. Am I getting that wrong? I always get those mixed up.
0: You know what? Freud's completely discredited by now, anyway, so it doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But uh, no, living, living in their world was actually a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, it was actually not as hard as it seems because every story had a consistency to the characters. Trowbridge was always the same kind of thick-headed, conservative doctor. De Grandin was always the sprightly, uh, smart Frenchman. And then there was always the, their, the Irish police sergeant who lived in their town who came to them for help always the same guy they had. The maid was always the same. So you did have uh, six or seven recurring characters. And then what was what made it so much fun was each story then also had new characters and they seemed to come from pretty much all over the globe. So, you know, that gave me another uh, series of opportunities to create a bunch of new people. But because a lot of them are, you know, they're only in the one tale, I didn't have to worry as much about the consistency from story to story because they were just in one story. Uh, And I I think I did every dialect on the planet at some point in that book. And then in in one of the tales, one of my favorites is near the beginning. uh, It almost seems like a story out. It could be early James Bond, like they're on a boat and it gets sunk by the villain. And they end up trapped on a deserted island that the villain runs. And he has these henchmen and then he's going to feed them to an octopus. And he has a sexy native dancer or, or I'm sorry. No, she's actually from England, but he's kidnapped her. So they think she lives in the, what is it? Papua New Guinea. It would, that's where they are. And then the guy, the their host, it's the whole typical most dangerous game kind of scenario. You know, he seems like this friendly, charming sort. He's an Englishman, but then gradually you realize he's just like twisted and evil through the course of one long monologue. And there's, <laughs> there's cannibalism and there's everything. And it's all in that one story. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I got to make use of my British dialects there, and for for that that guy had monologues that went on for pages, <laughs> you know. And of course, I do whole books in British dialect, so that's nothing new. But it's kind of cool when you get that departure, like you're doing a book entirely in one accent, but then for you know half a you know half a story, you're suddenly in another dialect, and that's you know that's where these things come into play. I guess those are is where we play our assets. You know, other people have other skills that I couldn't touch. Sounds like you played your assets off there. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. I wish I could remember the title of that story within the book, but it's it's one of my favorites in that volume. Yeah. And it's near the beginning. It's I want to say it's the second or third. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So,
0: uh jumping ahead a uh, mm-hmm. a few years, uh there's another supernatural series you did, uh by uh written by Pippa DeCosta, the, the Soul mm-hmm. Eater series. The Soul Eater
1: series. I enjoyed those a lot oh, too. Oh, I
0: loved that series. Yeah. So um tell me a little bit about uh, about about that. How did that how did that come about?
1: Um Well, Tantor approached me to do book one, and uh then that kind of led to book two and book three. Mm-hmm. And uh I I had never heard of it uh before they offered it to me, but uh I I got into it right away because I loved the concept of you know, and it's I suppose other novels have done this with Greek and Roman gods. There's a there's a novel called Gods Behaving Badly that I really loved the audiobook of with Rosalind Landor narrating, mm-hmm. uh which has the Roman gods living in modern day London. Well, this this has uh Egyptian supernatural beings and gods and goddesses. Uh, living in modern-day New York. And, you know, they're immortals. They never die. They've just lived through the centuries in various forms. And our hero, well, he's actually anti-hero, uh, Ace, I believe. Yeah. I don't have my page in front of me for reference. <laughs> it was a, a couple of years ago. That's all right. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I, I'll, I'll he, happily remind you. He he is a fascinating kind of dark soul. I mean, he's a soul eater, uh, which... If I remember right, it's it's he was who the gods used to send souls to for eternal uh, decimation. Like you know, everyone has a soul, but he would actually destroy the soul. Yeah,
0: their their souls would be weighed, and uh, their their fate would be determined. Yes, and and yeah, if you if your soul weighed more than the feather of Maat, congratulations, you got eaten. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm curious, excuse me. Um, when, when working on a series like this, did you have any communication with the author? I, 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 oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and, and if you did, and I I guess actually I should let you answer that because it, it'll affect the, the, and if you did part, because if you okay. didn't, then
1: yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, you never know if you will or not when you work with a publisher uh, and in this case I did, or they gave me her email and mm-hmm. I said, hi, glad to be doing your book. And, uh, if you have any names or character notes you want to give me, let me know. And, and she said, uh, I'm cool with your interpretation. Glad you're narrating it. <laughs> it was as simple as that. And then I did everything pretty much according to my own interpretation.
0: Nice. Those are always wonderful communications
1: to get. <laughs> and that's not to say that I, I'm not trying to say Pippa was indifferent or didn't, Care, I think she just put her trust in in me to do the material justice, and uh, which,
0: which I think you did beautifully. Oh,
1: thank you. My wife loves that series too. Actually, the two books we've talked, or the two things we've talked about most on the mm-hmm. show, are the ones my wife likes the most. So that's saying something. Your it says your wife
0: has excellent taste. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed she um,
1: She's got me after
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I was gonna. I, I was going to ask if, um, you know, you got like any heads up about story arcs or if basically you were left to discover it as you got the new book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds like you, you
1: were left to. Uh... I guess, I guess if I, uh, it didn't really, nothing really threw mm-hmm. me uh, as I got into books two and three. So fortunately, I didn't have to like rethink any of the characters voicing sure. You know, I even made some non standard choices well that some might consider non standard for the material. Uh you know because we have we have what is it, uh Osiris and uh God, who's the other god the the god which her her husband. Osiris and uh you know the He's a bad one. <laughs> uh, uh, set, Anubis. Um, there is set, but that's not you? the one I'm thinking you know, of. Damn it. it. Well, it'll come to me. Okay. In any case, they're like the, in this world, World, they're the mayor of New York and his wife. And, you know, Thoth or Tote, depending on who you go to for pronunciation. He's like a high-powered, oh, is he a banker or a lawyer? He's he, one he of the was two. No, no. He was a lawyer. No, no. was a Yeah, he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Okay. Yeah. And and so forth. And I gave I gave everyone different voices and I, I even made, I made, uh, the two hoity-toity ones, the the top gods, British, even though they're in New York, just because I. The whole story is through Ace's POV, and mm-hmm. he's lived throughout the millennia as well. And I just figured that's this is how he hears them, this is how he's oh, yeah. known them all his existence. You Isis know, Isis
0: and Osiris would actually... Isis.
1: That thank you, yeah. Isis and Osiris. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so uh, Isis is the woman. Yes. <laughs> I was getting uh, mixed up. Oh, yeah, I mean obviously. Yeah. They would, they would be they would have British accents. It just seemed, <laughs> it just fit. I mean, I could have gone another way and I there cuz they're you know, I could have made them, you know, like the, the trumps or something. <laughs> but uh yeah. I I opted to keep them in that British royalty kind of class. But I didn't do that with all the gods cuz they each had their own kind of flavor, you know. Yeah. Uh you know, and Ace has his—he has his lover, Bastet, who I kind of made this sort of—I I thought of a mid-Atlantic like classy dame. I don't know why, from mm-hmm. like, um, you know, Golden Age of Film. Even though, again, that's she's far from far before that, but she just had that uh, image to me, and I, that's well, there was kind of a noirish
0: feel to—I mean, Ace the Detective. Oh, it is yeah.
1: definitely a detective yeah. noir. Ace is the film noir detective, and uh, you know he. It even follows a lot of the same story arcs. You know he gets played for a fool, and then he gets, uh, uh you know, has to avoid the axe, so to speak, <laughs> and solve the mystery and, fit and put things right. Actually, you know, now that it's been a couple of years since I did these, I'm remembering how much I enjoyed <laughs> voicing them. But yeah, I, I actually use a couple of their samples on my SoundCloud page still because. Uh, I really enjoyed some of the work I did okay. and yeah. specifically the relationship between ACE and uh, what's his, his girl Friday, his secretary. Oh, uh, and again, it's flipping my mind, but they have this great kind of relationship that even though it, it never seems like there's any flirtation in there. I, I felt there was, I mean, I'm not even sure if it was written, but I, I, in, I put it in the subtext anyway, because it, just worked better i thought and for some reason i kept picturing Kristen ritter as that character Mm -hmm. i don't know why and you know how sometimes you just get an image in your head of a a certain actor or actress playing this role and even though i'm never gonna be that person i'm not gonna do an impersonation but if i have that in my head then some approximation of what i'm thinking will come out in (laughs) the (laughs) voice Because I'm not an impersonator. I, I mean, I can do my uh, some funny character voices, but they're usually nondescript. <laughs> you know, they will definitely be a character voice. But they'll, people will be like, well, who is that? Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, that was my Homer Simpson. I'm like, that wasn't Homer Simpson. <laughs> it was something, but it wasn't Homer Simpson. But it was certainly some other voice. I'm sorry, can, maybe that's why I'm doing can, this. Can you do that again? Well, actually, that wasn't, I wasn't even, I was trying to do a bad Homer Simpson voice. Uh, of course, yes. Oh, I don't know what my real one would be. My wife says I did a fairly good one. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Usually awesome. I try to impersonate one character or person, and then I come off sounding like a third, like a, a, another person. Well,
0: yeah, but that works out because then nobody accuses right. you of trying to impersonate somebody. Right. You, you just right. do fantastic character work. Right. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> con- considering there's so much of this kind of fantasy uh, supernatural uh, stuff in a lot of the the fiction work that you do is this a i mean is it a an interest of yours genre wise or is it just one of those things where you know you got cast for it you're good at it so people just keep casting you
1: it certainly is one that i am interested in more uh, on my own before i did audiobooks i i read a lot of fantasy and uh sci-fi growing up Mm -hmm. uh although i can't remember specific books you know if you were to ask me to name one i i never became like a a genre kid or a you know i'd never had to have the complete you know asimov or anything but i've read a few books (laughs) it's like that (laughs) so you you were a casual Mm -hmm. uh, i would i dabbled you know i dabbled in a little of asimov and uh so little tolkien a little Michael End, uh, there's an underrated oh,
0: there well we go. uh
1: well actually he didn't write that many books but he wrote the never ending story in german and yeah. that is still one of the best kids fantasy novels in
0: Oh my god yeah uh, you for for folks that have only seen the movie mm-hmm. and not read the book do yourself a favor and and pick it up or get the audiobook oh, yeah. i'm sure it's out there uh such a a, a better book <laughs> than movie i thought yes
1: um, and they yeah. kind of I, I thought, actually think the movie is quite good, but uh, the, all the sequels kind of failed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, but the so, movie was only speaking...
1: the first half of the book.
0: And... Right. They, they stopped. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and considering the sequels... They, they made a know. lame attempt to incorporate some things from the second half in the sequels, but by the third, you know, you have Jack Black as a motorcycle bully or something, and who knows what's that <laughs> teenage yeah and i love jack black don't get me wrong but they had lost their thread at that point yeah lost the and they, they had changed bastions empress and Atreus three times and you, you can't do that
0: no <laughs> you know yeah when, when your leads say they're not coming back for the sequel <laughs> i you know that that should tell you something um especially so- when they grow
1: up and they're too well <laughs>
0: Uh so talking about the books that you loved as a kid mm-hmm. one of the questions i'm asking everybody is were you a weird kid
1: <laughs> i think i was yeah oh definitely God. in what way what made you uh, weird i don't know i kept to myself for a lot of my childhood i mean i didn't really get out of my shell till like high school when i discovered theater and you know kind of i mean i had friends once i was in like 4th or 5th grade but uh Actually, up to that point, I didn't have a whole lot of school friends either. Uh, And I was an only child until my mom remarried, you know, but for most of my childhood, effectively, I was an only child. So I did have a lot of alone time and I I read a lot. I I had a a rich fantasy life. I used to play make believe and, you know, I actually used to write a bit myself. I mean, I still do, but, but not professionally, but, you know, always had a flair for you know, the fantastical or the absurd or, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but, but I was weird. I'm trying to think of how to explain in in what way in in the, <laughs> in the kind of way that people who don't spend a lot of time socially are weird. <laughs> but, but then I was also that kind of kid who was also hurt that people didn't seem to get me because I guess I was weird. And I, you know, you know, there's the, there's the weird people who don't care. They're like, oh, screw you. I, I I'm happy on my own. I actually did want to be like friends with everybody, but, but I was yeah. too weird to, to get there. And eventually I, I found a balance, you know, and I got out more and I, you know, I, I met some girls and, you know, <laughs> did, did some real life stuff and, <laughs> and then, and then it all kind of balanced out. But, uh, I was a pretty weird kid. Are you, are you still weird now? I'd say yeah, but I'm also very conventional in a lot of ways. But I don't know. I'm still living a sort of double life as like the well, no, a single life as sort of the bohemian artiste. Only now I work from my home and uh, you know have an apartment full of knickknacks and thousands of books, of course, and of
0: course, yeah. But see, and now you're getting paid for all right. of your fantasy explorations
1: so right you you I mean I would say it was probably a natural fit because I remember here here's how much of a weird kid I was ready mm-hmm. like one of the first birthday parties I had with friends like actual schoolmates over which wasn't till I was about 10 I sat them all down and read them an Edgar Allan Poe tale <laughs> that's that's yeah awesome. lots of fun <laughs> when do we have the cake
0: <laughs> oh man yeah but you know it 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 paid off
1: it did it you know. and actually an, another thing i remember is i used to do readings for my english projects in school like on tape mm-hmm. uh or i do it with another actor friend of mine in school and we would record a book we did like another poem like cask of amontillado we recorded it for in audiobook style, with another friend doing the characters, and me being like the narrator, first the main character, and uh, recorded it all and turned it in as the English project. Because oh hey, it's proof that you read the book. <laughs> How in the and, world did it take you so
0: long then to become a professional narrator? It sounds well, like from the time you were ten,
1: mm, you were, you were since just, I was a kid. Yeah, I, but well, I guess the natural. The, the barrier to entry that I assumed was in all voiceover because I, you know, it was hard enough as an actor and I'd always heard that voiceover was 10 times as hard. And I think it is, but yeah. audiobooks are kind of in this nether world in between. Uh, they're not, it's not the high stakes world of crazy voiceover. And I admit, I, I know very little about that world, but, uh, I do know that it's a different game. Yeah. Uh, And I actually prefer a a long, slow project where I can take my time and, you know, not have to yell. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, video games, actually, that could be fun work, but I hear people blow out their voices needing 150%. Yeah.
0: Video games are getting, they're getting more fun. I mean non non long form voiceover commercial voiceover work mm. um i think for the longest time i don't think you could i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna piss I, off people <laughs> right now and say i don't think you could call it acting mm-hmm. but oh, I mean, i'm I've, sure it was I've you know it,
1: it's plenty of voiceover artists who were not actors uh they've they, they're yeah. like proud of it they'll oh and I, they'll they'll turn to me and they'll say wait how do you do you do hours and hours in the booth reading how do you do that yeah and these are these professional voiceover artists, and I'm not, not dissing the voiceover people. I'm just saying it's it's two different ball games. And yeah. I think I pref- I probably prefer the books. I mean, I know I'm not making as much per minute <laughs> for the recording, yeah. but in in many ways it's a more stable uh living. At yeah. least for now. And
0: you know, I I find it more satisfying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I am an actor at heart, so I I want to be acting, I want to be telling a story, and I think um, as as video games become more cinematic, there's maybe more opportunity for that mm-hmm. in the voiceover, but even then, from from what I understand of it, not having like you, not having done it, um, it even then it's it's still just you're doing your lines and you're doing them over right. and over again, and you know it's so disjointed that you you don't have the satisfaction of playing. A character and you know acting that character through its its arc mm-hmm. and and you know all of the things that that you know we consider mm-hmm. acting i i like i like the performance mm-hmm. so i get where you're coming yeah. from i think <laughs> so um what do you have coming up what's uh, what can people expect from you this you know uh, we'll air this maybe a month after recording it so um you know project ahead uh what can people be expecting from you uh
1: well let's see i just wrapped recording on volume two of george martin's biography uh yeah by kenneth womack it's the volume two is called sound pictures and uh volume one was released last year called maximum volume so that's already out and by the time this podcast airs sound picture pictures should be out as well uh and that was fascinating because he's best known as the Beatles producer. And he really did create a lot of their sound for them. I mean, often they would have an idea of what they wanted, but not how to implement it. And, you know, he would do that. He could, and they came up with a bunch of revolutionary studio techniques that, you know, we take for granted today. Or, I mean, the fact that Sergeant Peppers was completely recorded on a four-track tape recorder. All those sounds, all those tracks, and it was all just bumping tracks like I used to do with my old Tascam uh, four track when I was recording music at home to, you know, just make tapes for fun of, yeah. And and they did Sergeant Peppers on a comparable system back in the sixties when that was top of the line. Uh, I don't know. So, so that was a good book uh, just for getting, especially as someone who's been a Beatles fan all his life and my parents too. uh, That was fun for exploring topic that I really am interested in uh what else uh I did this is already out uh my first book that is a was a Pulitzer Prize finalist I still haven't done a Pulitzer Prize winner but uh, I did narrate (laughs) Railroaded which is about the transcontinental railroads and it kind of explodes the myth of the railroad barons I mean we all tend to think of them as unscrupulous sorts anyway but Uh, It also it revealed a lot about how the railroads just changed everything and were really built for as a cash cow for these guys. And, you know, damn the torpedoes. Otherwise, got a huge uh, subsidy from the country and then just stole most of it. (laughs) It's fascinating. And uh, it was, you know, yeah, it's one of those things we think we know about, but then you don't really until you learn it in depth. So that is already out, and then on the fiction side, you know, I, I I've done a couple male male romances recently. Again, I have uh, one called Snow Falling that's just been released, which I co-narrated with Joel Leslie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, nice. Or yeah, he who is very popular in that genre. I don't have the same following, and I guess this is this is one way people can figure out who my pseudonym is because I won't say it here, but. Uh, you know, but by saying the title, you can look up that book and figure out what my alias is. in In certain genres, I mean, if I had it all to do again, maybe I wouldn't have even created an alias. But when I started out, I, I thought I would be. It would be better if I compartmentalized because I didn't know. I didn't know what my future was going to be. Now I'd be like, well, who cares? <laughs> but at the time, it, it, it's okay, Clark Kent. <laughs> everybody knows your.
0: <laughs> the glasses are fooling no one.
1: And as always, as, as always, I have a new uh, Scottish or Highlander romance coming out by a couple of authors that I've worked with for several years. Uh, Kira Montclair and Jenny Vale. I'm I'm narrating Jenny's fifth book right now, and there should be another Kira Montclair out sometime later. Well, one was just released, so Highland Retribution is a good one to check.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And uh, can we look forward to uh, more, more Soul Eater from you
1: and uh, Pippa da Costa? Oh, I would love that. Um, I, I don't know yet. I think she has more books in that series, but I don't think they've been op- Either they haven't been commissioned for audio yet, or I just don't know about it. Uh, she did approach me uh, personally to mm-hmm. ask about narrating one of her other books in another series, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. But we were in touch about it.
0: Oh, fantastic! Uh, I don't
1: know. I'm not sure what's happening on that front, but we were in touch. I know that she liked my work enough to consider using me independently. That's fantastic.
0: So, you you yeah. can make a great uh, a great pair.
1: Thank you. Cool. Oh, well, and actually, one yes. can I pro, can I plug one more since I am hey, on? Absolutely. Or actually, two more. Two more. There's since this <laughs> is a uh, uh, paranormal and fantasy and sci-fi uh, channel. Uh, you'd probably be intrigued by the Nightfall duology that just came out, which is now my longest audiobook, longest single audiobook to date, at 37-plus hours. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, technically, that's because it's two books in one volume, but uh, it was released as one title. So, uh, And that was done entirely in British various British dialects. So <laughs> you can either you'll either love it or you're, you'll scoff. <laughs> but actually, it, it's one of those just in, intricate world-building type uh, uh, fantasy novels with a really good message at the heart of it. Nice, and that there um, was night, Nightfall duology? Nightfall, yeah. Oh, and the the key thing, yeah, the Nightfall duology. Okay. And uh, what made it unique was that our main character, Nightfall, is an assassin who always lives incognito, and... He, whenever he's in a different land, he has a different alias. So, uh, the same character I ha- I gave him about six different voices and accents, depending on what guys he was in. And then a lot of the time he was never in his true guys, but we get his thoughts. So his thoughts I had to give, you know, we have his inner voice had yet another voice and it only comes out when he's truly being himself, which is rare. Wow. So that was fascinating. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that must have been really cool to work on.
1: So that and Live from New York is the other one that it's not new, but uh I think it's sales are really picking up for it, as I it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is co-narrated with Christine and Delane, and it's the whole history of Saturday Night Live from its inception all the way up to about two years ago. And uh we are the almost the whole book is interview quotes by everybody affiliated with the show oh my gosh and you can imagine the challenge there <laughs> I and mean, we were pointedly told don't impersonate yeah. but do keep the sense of humor and you know do try to tell uh keep it keep the spirit of the jokes of the show alive <laughs> but don't try to and, sound like them but yeah. don't impersonate <laughs> but if you could differentiate the voices that would be great
0: oh my gosh
1: Yeah. So how do you read Christopher Walken without reading Christopher Walken? (laughs) You know, how do you? Um, you do another kind of voice that's, you know, you do what Paul does, which is you think of Christopher Walken and then it doesn't (laughs) come out like that at all. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Actually, I have a little clip from it from the intro on my SoundCloud page. And if you want to hear how I approached it, because that intro was retelling some of the most famous jokes uh, all one after the other, like Sarah Palin's, I can see Russia from my house and the, uh, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. John Lovett says Dukakis and so on. Yeah. You know, you give a flavor, but you don't know, I try not to do the voices, just, just maybe the, the tonality of how, how different people would speak. Yeah. Yeah. Know? We'll, we'll include
0: a, a link to your SoundCloud page in the show notes. Right.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm done plugging. I I <laughs> <laughs> sorry if I over I didn't mean to overwhelm. Well. No, 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 that's awesome. Out there.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me tonight. Oh sure, James. It's always a pleasure. I, I have had a blast and uh you know, uh, hopefully either uh you know, maybe volume three of Jules de Grand Grandon. Uh, or uh, more soul leader, or I decided
1: uh, to go like with, uh, unlike my pronunciation pronunciation of Van Gogh. I did try to go for the French, the accurate the Grandin. <laughs> well, you know, he he was French, so he was. Uh, um, but
0: yeah, you know, it's or God, in, any number of other books that that you're going to be working on. It sounds like
1: I'm I'm going to want to have you back, and I oh, I thanks. hope you say yes. I hope so.
0: Cool, cool.
1: Well, thanks for uh, having well, me for this first season of yours. Yeah, first it's, of many. It's been I have pleasure.
0: <laughs> just knock on—is it knock on wood? Is that appropriate here? I don't have anything wooden, but you know, <laughs> I'll knock for <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on.
0: And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon patrons: There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogan Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back.